And I was like, I'm gonna go in 2020, I'm gonna automatically qualify and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna compete for a medal. Welcome to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Kate Courtney. Kate Courtney is a present and future star in the world of mountain bike racing. Already a professional even before she started college, Kate won four U23 World Cups and the overall World Cup title in 2017 before entering the elite racer division. There, in her first year on tour, Kate came from behind to win the cross-country world championships, becoming the first American in 17 years to do so. One year later, she won the overall World Cup title as the world's best mountain bike racer. In 2021, she'll be making her Olympic debut at the Tokyo Olympics. Kate, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. How are you doing? Where are you at in the world? So I'm at home. I'm in California in the Bay Area. Nice. Very, very close to Stanford. I know we uh, we share that in common. We do. We do. How about you? Uh, I'm in Austin, Texas. I was about to say Houston because I was in Houston yesterday, but no, I'm in Austin. But I didn't know if you were over in um, in Europe right now getting ready, but you're back home. That's nice that you're home right now. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a little bit of an a Olympic year curveball. I, I broke my arm four weeks ago. Okay, I did, um, I did so hear I was, that. <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to be over there um, for a week and then coming home for two weeks and then going back. Got it. Um, a schedule, I'm sure you're, you're used to that. Yes. But, you know, because of the arm, I actually ended up with a five-week training block at home. And we've had a heat wave, so I've got some good Tokyo prep and soaking up all the good home vibes. So it, it's kind of a blessing in disguise. Yeah, you gotta you have to look at injuries like that, for sure. Um, that's interesting that you guys are also worried about the heat because we have been very focused on heat prep for the Olympics. That's something that you guys are like very, very focused on. Absolutely. It's I think the game is heat there. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, we all we do the prep. I've done heat acclimation. We have the protocols. We have the science. Um, and then I went out and trained four and a half hours in 90 degree heat the other day. And I was like, I need to stop for a popsicle. I'm unprepared. <laughs> we, need, we need to test everything. Um, so I think it is going to be challenging. <laughs> you guys are doing popsicles. I think we're we're doing slushed ice. I don't know. Okay. If this, can't we can't share this with the other uh, I know I know we'll but... have to we'll have to have them cut this out but that is funny because we are we're looking for like every possible advantage I mean I may or may not have a margarita machine arriving today that's so incredible. <laughs> that's for my pre-race simulation next week yeah exactly <laughs> write that bad boy off and then you know use it for a margarita later in life <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, before we talk about get really into Olympics and um, this this coming summer, we're going to go back to the beginning like like we always do in every episode and um, start from childhood with you. So you're in California right now. This is where, you know, you grew up in Marin County, California, at the base of Mount Tam, which I'm pretty sure I've biked up before. Yes. Um, but I think I did it on a road bike. It was like is that possible? Can you do it on a road bike? Absolutely. Okay. It's a yeah. beautiful place to ride road bikes. Yeah. I mean, Marin County is beautiful, but Mount Tam is considered the birthplace of mountain biking. So basically you were destined from birth <laughs> to be a world champion mountain biker. So how did you first get into the sport? Yeah, I, I find it funny looking back. It all kind of makes sense and aligns. But yeah. growing up, I uh, I did a lot of different sports and I was pretty mediocre. I ran, okay. I rode horses, I did gymnastics, I ski raced, I played soccer. 
And I was always like nice. the person that they would say had the most hustle, but was not good, um, mm. which I think is like <laughs> maybe the worst combination. They're like, you're trying the hardest and you're still not doing very well. <laughs> you're doing the worst. Oh, that's hilarious. But I think it changed for me when I went to high school and found kind of more endurance sports where kind of the work you put in really equates to progress. And I became kind of addicted mm. in running initially and then later in cycling to that step-by-step, step, okay, if I train and I'm consistent, that I see myself improving and becoming more capable and stronger and uh, that correlated to better race results. So my competitive mountain biking didn't begin until my freshman year of high school, actually, um, which is a little late. <laughs> yeah, so how did you even like, I mean, I guess it makes sense. You're, you, you live in Marin County mountain biking is huge there, but it, like what got you to be like, I'm going to get on a mountain bike and do it competitively. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I kind of love that. I fell in love with the sport in two stages okay. is what I say. Like the first stage was just riding my bike on Mount Tam, eating a lot of delicious food with my dad and exploring. <laughs> and that was just like a fun weekend thing. Yeah. Um, and I really had no exposure to mountain biking. Okay. I was like obsessed with ski racers growing up, had no idea that mountain biking was a competitive thing. Okay. Um, and when I went to high school, I, I had that first running season and I actually did really well and I won some races and I thought, oh man, okay, maybe this is my thing, but I really don't want to run around a track. Like that just sounded like the worst to me. Exactly. So I was looking for a way to cross train. I was like, okay, I, what do I love about running? I love being out in nature. I love talking to my teammates while we're running up a hill. I love pushing myself, the endurance. Okay, maybe I'll try mountain biking as my spring sport. And they actually had a high school mountain bike team at my school. And so I joined as the only girl. Um, and from the first race, like that was it for me. It was really? everything I loved about running, but then without the things I didn't like. Um, like I think I'm a competitive person, so I love being in a race, uh -huh. but running the races themselves, I kind of just had to get through, uh, and mountain bike races were like the most fun I'd ever had. Like I had fun, not only in the training and the preparation, being out with the team, exploring, but the actual race was exhilarating and fun. And it had all these elements to me that were, it's an endurance sport, but they're sprinting and it's tactical and it's technical and you're going up and over roots and it's really engaging um, on a bunch of different levels and you can also improve in a lot of different ways so you you know I had that first race and I thought man if I can get better at my technical skills if I can get if I can build my power on these climbs like there's so many ways that I can improve um, and from then on I, I actually never ran another running race uh, really and, yes wait so after quick your, shift after your first mountain biking competition you quit every other sport you were like this is it yeah I was like I want to do this one that's <laughs> incredible that it was it that you stumbled upon it that late in life in terms of doing it competitively but then the moment you did your first race you had decided yeah I think for me all of the things that I did before that really set me up well yeah. for cycling um and this is something I think that can be a challenge especially for young athletes in a non-impact sport is, you know, cycling, if you get into it too early and too focused, too disciplined, just on that sport, um, you can become really unbalanced, I think, in a lot of ways. For and sure. for me, I grew up playing all these sports. And actually, because of uh, ski racing, I did a lot of weight training. 
I was pretty strong and I wasn't afraid to go fast downhill. Um, and I also had some endurance. So it kind of like was the, all of these different things coming together. Um, and it was also just fun. I loved it and I wanted to do it as much as I possibly could. I mean, it makes sense. I've been mountain biking once with my father. My dad loves to bike. I love to bike, to cycle, road bike, that sort of thing. I I went mountain biking once with him and I was like, this is extremely dangerous and I need to be very careful and probably shouldn't do this again until I'm done playing soccer. Post-retirement. Like, yes, <laughs> I'm like so in, it's it's so fun. Um, and I get, I get why you could very quickly become addicted to it because it just, there's so many elements that are awesome about it. So I, I, I get it. That's awesome. We'll circle back. Yes. We'll go ride. I would love, <laughs> I would love, even if we can like sneak one in while I'm still flying and we can just be careful. I'll on keep an, you on safe. An, That's on an a easy big responsibility. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I'll trust you hopefully. Um, so what did, what did a mountain bike race look like in high school? Was it this, is it the same in terms of like lengths, that sort of thing as professional? Yeah. So it, it's okay. pretty different. Um, the biggest difference I would say is U.S. versus Europe. The courses there are just much more mm -hmm. technical and difficult. And the competition level has just been higher, partially, I think, because in Europe, there's so many countries close together that you can race a Swiss Cup one weekend, the French Cup the next weekend, the Italian Cup. So all those racers are competing against each other. Um, growing up, whereas the U.S. is so big, you might just be competing with yeah. girls in California. So that was, I would say, the biggest transition. But I think one of the things that was a little bit of a blessing in my career is that because I was exposed so late and I didn't kind of grow up knowing what the path looks like, I didn't know what it meant to be a professional racer or what it would take to get there, uh, that I kind of just took it one step at a time. So I raced freshman and then I raced JV and then I raced varsity and uh, I started to race in Europe. I raced junior world cups. I raced uh, Pan American championships and then U23 world cups and then elite. And I think at each of those steps, I could kind of see just far enough to say, I want to get to that next step and I think I can do it. Whereas if I might've known how different freshman girl NorCal race was from a world cup elite mountain bike race, I, I might not have, uh, been so confident in my that baby steps. That makes sense. So who was the person who, or like, how did you come to understand what the path looked like? Because mountain biking is, I guess, I mean, I don't want to say non-traditional sport, but it's not like mainstream. Like, you know, you said you played soccer early age, that sort of thing. So how did you learn? And were you like, what, what do I have to do to get to the next step? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I think there were a few of those moments in my career. I kind of had one as a junior, one as a U23 and one as elite racer where I like broke through and realized, wow, I can compete at the front. Uh, but my favorite, I don't think I've ever told the story before. Well, let's so hear it. This is a new one. Perfect. But when I was 16 or 17, I was preparing to go to Europe the first time to race. And my dad was kind of like following the races. He loved cycling, but you know, neither of my parents are huge pressure cooker parents. Okay. They're just kind of excited for me to be doing this and, and want to support it. But if I walked away and did something else, they'd be just as happy as long as I tried my hardest. Um, but my dad was, you know, paying attention to these races in Europe. And he sent me this photo of a podium in Germany and the girls on it won these giant hams. <laughs> and it was like, so it became this joke in my family that like the racing in Europe is different. And for a long time, no young Americans had gone over and, and been on the podium or succeeded. And 
my coach at the time actually was like, she's not, she can't get on the podium. What are you talking about? Like, and this is your, this is, is, American this, is this your high school coach or do you have, are you this like now doing, school, okay. Okay. So high school coach like is the one, kind of coach. is the one like guiding you, but also thinking you can't do it. Well, it just wasn't expected. Okay. Okay. But my dad really told me, he's like, I think that you can get on a podium in Europe. Like I really, you're going to go and you're going to get that ham. And so for two years, it like became this joke in my family that we had to get the ham. And it was this kind of symbol of the racing over there is different. And I felt like when I got on a European podium that I had really Mm. progressed. Um, And it did not happen the first time I went to Europe. The first time I had, I got a top 10 race and I crashed out of a race. So I had like a mix of kind of exposure to what I needed to do to be successful. Um, And my senior year, that second year, I went and I was third at the Obstat Junior World Cup. And that was kind of the moment, first of all, like I think it showed the power of belief, the fact that my dad, he never put pressure on me, but he kind of planted that seed like, hey, I think this might be possible. Just maybe keep that in mind. Um, You could go in a large totally occurred to me. Yeah. It occurred to me in the race. I was like, I'm going to get the ham. That's amazing. I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to get the ham. And I I think that's a fun way of uh, of kind of thinking about that moment. But it, it shows, you know, at every step in my career, I think my dad has really kind of planted these seeds of belief in me. And they, they aren't fantastical and uh, unrealistic. They're more just like just outside of my understanding of the possible. Mm. And I think that's like the key of a coach – Um, I have a coach now who does that really well as well, but a coach or a supporter is to like put it just outside what you see as your own personal limit. And at some point in the, in the years that you're working towards that, you'll get to a moment where you say, wait, I thought my limit was here, but I, I, it's right there. And I think I can do it. And someone told me that I could. Um, And so that for me, I think was what really like started to spark my belief that I could be competitive in Europe and maybe competitive in any race I enter. I love that. I I think that's so true. And I think especially when you're starting out in a sport or you're in the younger phases of a sport, I think having someone older that sees your potential and, and, but also kind of, like you said, plants that seed to make you believe it's possible because it, you, it, you might not have ever even thought that you would go win a ham in Europe um, but the fact that your dad, you know, said that and, and, and planted that seed, I think that's really cool. So I'm, I'm a new, I don't really know much about mountain biking in terms of like the specifics, right? So you said high school mountain biking is very different from biking in Europe, you know, once you become a professional U23 elite. So can you explain what those different stages look like? First of all, you're crushing it so far. Oh. It's like all sports are very complicated and different. They really are, uh, but it's but I love like I that's that's one thing I love about the um this podcast is like I don't know a lot about some of the sports, but I'm like I read I read about the athlete and then I'm like this is so cool. I want to go to a race. This is amazing. I'm stoked. So please enlighten us, me, the listeners. In, in all things mountain biking. I'll just, maybe the structure of the races. So yeah. for high school mountain biking, it's it's actually a really unique sport. Um, high school mountain biking, they have it in, I think, 20 or 25 states now. Okay. Uh, and it's run by a national governing body, NICA. Um, and that is not as focused, I would say, on, you know, developing professional racers. It's more of a high school sport. And because of the nature of mountain biking, it, it doesn't matter if there's 10 kids or 20 kids or 50 kids lining up. So it's really inclusive. It means that 
someone who might've gotten cut from the basketball team can join the mountain bike team and get in shape. And there's kind of different, there's different levels, of course, freshman, I think there's freshman, sophomore, JV and varsity, but there's also different goals within the races. Some kids are there to win. Some kids are there to get in shape and have this great experience with their family and community. So that's really where I started, which was not a competitive, super intense environment. Um, but it allowed me to develop that competitive edge. Uh, and then I started racing in national level races. So they have a national level, um, series that's apart from the high school league and national championships. So that's kind of like that next level, I'd say. Um, and beyond that, you start racing internationally and that might include, um, like many other sports, we have national championships, Pan American championships, world championships every year. Uh, but we also have world cups. So there's, there used to be junior world cups. Now there's only U23 and elite. Okay. Um, So it's 19 to 24 or 19 to 23 to 19 to 22. Uh, and then 23 plus under 23. Um, we got it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then elite. So that's kind of the top level of competition are those World Cups. And they're definitely uh, a big step up from the other ones. Is there ever a time when you're, you know, a, a racer's 20 and they are competing in elite? Or do they specifically keep racers within their age ranges and they don't allow them to, they like keep, you know, you're, you're 22, you're staying in U23 and then you can become elite. It's like an age thing or is it a a talent thing um they you can race up okay um it's an endurance sport so a lot of times people peak a little bit later yeah so it it, i really appreciated having the u23 world cups for me as an athlete i'm a big like trajectory rather than starting point person i think for me i've been super consistent in my progress year over year um and so for example in the u23 category i was eighth overall my first year, fourth overall my second year, second overall my third year, and then I won my fourth year. And so every year I was like consistently getting a little bit better. And that last year, I had the chance to compete for wins in every race I entered. Um, And we always talk about this in my performance team. I I think it's very different to be competing for wins. Mm. There's a lot of strategy that goes into it when, when you kind of, you know, you can do it. You're in that front group. How do you know your competition? How do you strategically execute on your abilities um, and put together that race win? And I got to practice that a lot in U23 when, you know, if I had started at 19 in the elite field, it might've been quite a few years before I was able to compete at the front. And then it takes quite a few opportunities to really sharpen those skills and also learn to deal with the pressure and expectation of feeling like you can and should be on the podium. Um, so I, I'm really happy that I had all four years in U23, but mm. many people choose not to. And actually the the woman who's currently leading the World Cup is 21 and is racing up. So wow, okay. there's certainly some very impressive young racers who've made the jump and, uh, and are making a statement. Okay, got it. And I'm curious, do you get to race or ride the course before you race on it? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So we get, usually we're there about a week. Okay. Um, okay. So you so get to know we, it, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. And after being on the World Cup circuit, I think this is my eighth year. Um, so a lot of the races have remained the same and I, I go back to the same places again, which is a huge advantage. Okay. Interesting. That's, yeah. It's kind of like ski racing in the sense of you, you, you cone in on the spots where you can 
take advantage, you know, that sort of thing. I feel like there's probably so much strategy. And I'm also curious, it's it's a long race. How long are the races? They're about an hour and a half. Yeah. So how many miles is that? Miles can, it can or vary, but I think it's about a 5K. <laughs> it is. It's about a 5K course. Okay. And you do five or six laps. Okay. So it's laps. So we get, yeah. So we have like, if we're racing five laps, I'll probably do five to seven laps during the week to prep. That makes um, sense. So by by the time we get to race day, I can usually visualize the entire race. Mm. Uh, and maybe not necessarily every root and rock, but I've definitely got the important ones down. <laughs> is is visualization something that you have, that you rely on heavily in, in your sport? Definitely. I think it's super important. Um, I definitely do it the week of a race. I think it's really helpful for me just to get it's like riding the course more, yeah. you know, you can get extra reps in without, uh, using that energy. And I think it's even more important this year will be my first Olympic games. And we got to go and ride the course for the test event. Uh, but now it's been two years since we've been there. So having the chance to kind of continue to rehearse that course, uh, before we get there and knowing the restrictions that they have on practice time at the games, I think, visualization is a huge key there. I'm sure. Is there ever a time when you guys film like out front so that you can just watch it? Oh yeah. I uh, actually worked with, it's close enough to the games now that you couldn't replicate this, but um, Red Bull, Red Bull helped make a virtual reality. Oh, sick. Yeah. Like we have an Oculus Rift of the entire Olympic course. So I'm able to like watch it, which is really cool. And you can like move around. See, I think that's something that in, in football and soccer, I think that I don't know why somebody hasn't done it. I think that being able to watch yourself and the things that you would go through. And I agree. I'm the same way when it comes to visualization. Like it's like you're getting extra reps, you're getting another game in, you're being able to put yourself in those positions and and know what you're going to do and how you're going to execute. It's interesting. They say the science of it that to your brain, it's as if you're doing the activity. Um, But I thought a lot about like, the way that you visualize and what you're saying of like being you on the soccer Mm -hmm. field. I feel like, and I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm probably lying, but to me, at least watching the visualization of the 3d where I'm, I'm me going through the course. I think I process it very differently than when you visualize something and you see Mm. yourself, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean? I think it, it helps me process the information as if I'm riding my bike versus as if I'm watching someone ride a bike. Absolutely. I agree. That's really, really cool. Um, wow. You're like, you've got all of the, you're getting all of the edges, the little aggregation of marginal gains, those 1%. It's, I love to hear that as an athlete. I think that that's so cool. So you, so you started going to Europe in high school mm-hmm. and what was the jump like from competing in the U S to competing in Europe? Because I've read how it's just very different from the courses, the athletes, the mental toll. So what was that jump like for you? Yeah, it was on that first trip uh, before the ham experience. um, I had my first two junior world cups. The first one, I was 10th place. And at the time I was like, thought that was, I was God's gift to cycling. Like I was 10th place. It was like this amazing experience. My parents actually flew to Europe. They're like, we can't miss this. She's doing her first. I can't believe we missed that. We got to go. 
So they come in the second race. I line up and immediately I crash. Oh no. I like fell down a rock garden. I ended up, it's one of, I think, three races in my career that I didn't finish. And my parents were there. It was very embarrassing. And after the race, I was talking to my mom and I'm like, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And she said, you know, like that looked really hard. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. And I remember I was pretty upset at the time, but there was like this thing inside me that was like responded in only with the way that you can respond to your mom, where I was like, no, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do this. You can't stop me. I'm going to do this. And I really appreciated that moment. One, because I appreciate that my mom has never like pushed me into this, but has always been kind of supportive. Uh, She's been very (laughs) supportive. Um, But it's almost like when you have that out, you think, okay, this is really hard. I could choose not to do this. Yeah. But there is this thing inside me that said, no, like I really want to, and it's going to be hard, but I think I can. Mm. Um, and from that trip, I had just the right amount of like a little bit of success at that first race. Um, and then a lot of failure at the second yep. race to make me think, okay, this is really hard, but, but maybe I can. And what are the things that I can identify that I'm struggling with? Okay. Number one, technical skill. I could not ride the courses comfortably. Mm. Uh, number two, I wasn't used to that level of competition. Number three, you know, I started to make these realizations of how I needed to get better. And then I went home and I worked really hard and I did improve in those things. And when I went back to Europe, I felt more confident and comfortable and I was able to ride the courses and got a little bit better. And it was kind of like rinse and repeat year after year. Um, to start feeling like I really belonged in that field. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's interesting. You, you had enough uh, enough of a taste of success coupled with a large chunk of failure to be like, it was like the perfect mix to have you be like, no, I want this and I can do it, but I need to get a lot better, which I think a lot of people, especially young athletes, they want the success so quickly and so early and I always tell people like failure, I think is one of the biggest teachers and and I think is really important in sports, in individual journeys and, and athletic careers. Um, so that's interesting that you crashed only one of three times in your second race in Europe. It's well, I mean, the funny thing is, as I'm saying this, you know, I had basically the same experience at the last two World Cups. I had a pretty good race uh, at the first World Cup of the season and a big failure. I crashed. I broke a brake lever. I got a flat tire. I had pretty much the worst luck of a race that I could have had in my last race um, and ended up breaking my arm four weeks ago. (laughs) But there's something special that happens when you have that sequence of events and you can't really like force that. And honestly, when it's happening, it doesn't feel that good at first. But I came home from that event similar to my first trip in Europe where I said, okay, I'm close, but if I'm being honest with myself, I'm not there. Yeah. So what like I, what am I going to do to get there? Um, and I think for me as an athlete, when I've had those, like that kind of deep motivation of like, I can do it, but I'm not doing it yet. I acknowledge failing currently not where I need to be, but I believe in myself. I have a plan and I can do it. And I'm going to, here, here's what we're going to do to get back there. Um, and that's, those are some of my favorite moments in the sport. And I think right now my build up to the Olympic games is one yeah, of those. That's awesome. Well, in 2012, and you might've touched on this already, you're 17 years old. You became the first American woman to win a UCI mountain bike world cup in the junior category. So can you explain what a UCI world cup is? 
Yeah. So they unfortunately don't have them anymore, but those were junior World Cups um, were just for 17, 18 year olds. So now now they just have the two uh, older categories. But yeah, they were international events. I think the first one I won was in 2012, and that was actually in the U.S. Okay, um, okay. So they had one in the U.S. and one in Canada. Okay. Uh, and then we also raced, like, the series in Europe. Got it, got it. And when you won that, was that one of the moments that you were like, all right, I'm taking the next step. I'm I'm really doing this. Yeah, in some ways, yes. I think it was a really exciting win for me, but in some ways, like – I just really wanted to prove that I could do it in Europe. Mm. And I think um, for me, it's always, if there's a next level, the focus is always on that. So I think until I really won a big race in Europe on a day when everyone was there, um, that was when I started to really feel like I could compete at the top level. And and that was kind of more the mountaintop. Um, But that was certainly one of, one of the steps of the climb. Yeah, for sure. So you, you're 17. You end up going to Stanford. Did you always want to go to Stanford? No. Although I love, I loved Stanford. Well, in, that's good. in hindsight, like, thank goodness I was able to go to school there. It was a huge privilege to be able to do that. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I was so focused on mountain biking and I just was focused on my one sport and I wanted to go to school where I didn't have to ride in the snow. Mm. So it was kind of like Stanford, Cal, or, you know, one of the mountain biking schools, basically. And I ended up getting an early uh, action to Stanford and it was like decision done. That was my dream school. Um, And I was an hour from my parents. And what I probably couldn't have predicted at the time was, you know, at the time I was a top 10 U23 racer. I was signed to a pro contract. But I was top 10 U23. I wasn't, you know, competing for wins internationally. And I think throughout my four years, my career kind of started to uh, to scale a little bit and things got quite a bit more difficult to balance. And being in a place that I could train in good weather all year, I had great support, had a lot of really high performing athletes and individuals around me, and also the help of my family. It really enabled me to pursue my academic goals and get a great education and develop as a person so that I could kind of handle the pressure of being a full-time athlete um, while also still, you know, racing and making progress towards those goals so that when I got that opportunity, I was ready and excited to take it. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a lot of questions about your time at Stanford, being a professional athlete, not being a Stanford student athlete and your progression during that time in college. So one, you signed your first professional contract after graduating high school. Was that something that you like, did you spend a lot of time on that decision or were you, was that just when that was an opportunity you were going to take it? Yeah, it it wasn't a hard decision, mostly because cycling is not a varsity sport. So it was kind of the only, the only option. And I had many friends who were varsity athletes. And to be honest, the level of support that they get is very similar to what I was getting for my professional team. Um, so it was definitely the right step if I wanted to continue racing internationally. That makes sense. So, and then you go to Stanford, you're a professional athlete, but you're not a Stanford student athlete. And I mean, I was a student athlete and I had to travel a lot, but I feel like you with your career probably had to travel even more than what I experienced as an athlete. And I thankfully had the backing or the support, you know, of, of the student athlete group where if I needed somebody to go talk to a professor, they hopefully would. Granted, some professors were like, don't take my class. I'm not going to help you. But others were more willing to work with the travel and not being there a lot of the time. So what 
was that experience like for you since you weren't technically student athlete but you you were a professional competing i assume in europe like one what did that look like and two what did your travel schedule look like yeah it was it was a little bit challenging um and definitely there were a lot of times i lived with three varsity water polo players my senior year and i was i was definitely jealous of many elements of the the stanford varsity athlete uh program yeah. because it's it's really fun and very cool although i will say also very demanding yes. and you know, at many times we were doing very similar things in terms of our performance. So, um, yeah, for me, that was challenging and it was definitely a learning curve. I would say my first two years, my freshman and sophomore year, I had a bit of a more normal fall winter. Uh, I took 20 units, both those corners just to try to like kind of front load my academic career. Um, and then I would take like less units in the spring when I had to travel. So our races start in March. Okay. Um, and it usually meant missing like three weeks of the 10 week quarter, which is quite a bit. That's significant. It's a significant Especially amount. Especially in quarters, like quarters are just so condensed and you have so much you have to do within those 10 weeks. So geez. Yeah, it was a lot, but I was able to find, um, I would just register for 25 units of classes and I'd go on the first day and I'd say, Hey, so I have a situation. Can you help me? I will do whatever, whatever it takes. I'll read a book. I'll write a report. I'll zoom in. I'll call. I'll do the whole project by myself. I'll take the test when I get home. Like I just start offering things. And some teachers would say, no, you can't do it. And some would say, wow, that's really cool. I'd love to, let's make it work for you. Um, yeah. I think the hardest class was my, I was a hum bio major. So the oh core. Oh my God. I was about I had to, to take ask, the core. I was about what? to ask what your major was and the fact that you just said a bio, like how, how did you do that? Well, the core was challenging. That was, yeah, I know that it's was like a tough year. Life ruining for some people. I have a distinct memory of that year. There was like a big group project for the end of the class. And that was <laughs> yeah. by far the hardest three quarters of school that I took. Um, and I had to take the full, whatever, 15 units of it in the spring. So mm. I had a lot of good note takers, but we had a group oh project and the time difference was a big issue because I was competing in Germany. And I remember I got on my first U23 World Cup podium. I was third place. And that again was another kind of ham, ham moment where I broke through and I had this amazing result. And we kind of, like, we go get pizza, we celebrate a little bit. And until two in the morning, I was like on the stairs in the hotel because I only got internet on the stairs oh, no. and I was trying to turn in this, just crying, just crying the whole time. And you had just made your first podium. Yeah, I just made my po first podium. Oh my gosh. So that was an example. It was certainly, there were some challenging moments, but I think it was really rewarding and it it kept me grounded in a way that I think was necessary, especially at that time in my career. Um, currently, I race for a team where I'm with really experienced racers. My team manager was kind of the goat of uh, Swiss mountain biking. Uh, my teammate was the Rio Olympic gold medalist. So I'm surrounded by these people. And the biggest thing I've learned is that no win is so big and no loss is so big. Mm. Like they show up, the losses, they feel them. It's like a 24 hour grieving period and we get back to work. The wins, we celebrate them. We cherish them. We do something awesome to commemorate it. And then we get back to work. And that I feel I kind of learned uh, being a student athlete where 
it allowed me to like separate my identity a little bit from my race results and from what I was doing as an athlete and understand that, you know, there's this bigger picture to keep in mind and to kind of, um, yeah, not, not burn out on the sport so early, which I think happens to a lot of young athletes. So you go to Stanford, you graduate on time in Humbayo and <laughs> that's incredible. But I want to talk about 2016 Olympics because you came very, very close to making the Olympics, um, but you weren't selected to the team. It came down to two of you and there was a discretionary pick and they picked the older racer. And I'm curious how you reacted to that moment and to that disappointment. Yeah, it's I've thought about that a lot in recent times, given the Olympics. Yeah. But it was interesting. In 2016, I was young, so I was 20. I was a first, I was still in the U23 category. So I wasn't racing head to head with the elite racers, mm-hmm. um, but I was winning races. And so there's a clause, the way our Olympic team is selected is they say they're going to take medal contenders or future medal mm, contenders. Okay, okay. So it's kind of like the hope was very much alive that I could potentially make the team and go for experience. Um, and I would say, you know, growing up, I, I always made the world's team. I always made the national team. Like I, I made the things that I wanted to go to by being a pretty good racer. Um, And I think that it showed me that the Olympics is something special. Like you don't just get to go because you're a pretty good bike racer. You have to deliver on the days that the selections are happening. You have to show without a doubt that you deserve to be there and that you are the best possible person to represent your country. Mm. And I didn't do that in 2016. And so I think the reaction was two things. First, I was way more disappointed than I thought I would be. Like I knew it was a long shot, but I was very upset. And I was over, I was actually in Austria with my now fiance uh, and, you know, preparing to race again. And that was a really tough thing to have to go and race right after that. Yeah. Um, So emotionally it was very hard not to make the team. And I think a big disappointment, but the flip side of it is I think it really ignited a little bit of an Olympic flame in me Mm. that excuse my uh, cliche there. (laughs) I love it. It ignited a little bit of a flame for the Olympic journey that I hadn't felt before. I didn't ever feel like I was the kind of person who could go to the Olympics. Like when I watched the Olympics as a little kid, I thought they were kind of superheroes and I didn't see myself. I didn't see myself in them. Really? Um, And after 2016, I really, the Olympics became my focus. And I said, you know, I don't want to go to the 2020 Olympics for the same reasons as 2016. 2016, I wanted to go for experience. I wanted to be picked on a discretionary pick. I wanted to go. I wanted to get the cool swag, meet all the other athletes, have the Olympic experience, go to the Olympics opening ceremonies, and do the whole thing. And nowhere in that had I really thought about the race. Um, Interesting. Right? Like. I, I was being picked. I knew that was, I was not going to win a medal that year, like just to be realistic. Um, but I wanted to go Yeah. and that changed in an instant in 2016. And I was like, I'm going to go in 2020. I'm going to automatically qualify and I'm going to go and I'm going to compete for a medal. And in that moment, that was like goal set done. And we've been working towards that for four years and 2019, I automatically qualified for my spot. And it's been a little bit of a surprise journey since then, but you know, I entered the 2020, what was supposed to be the Olympic season, ranked first in the world, coming off a World Cup overall, and certainly a medal contender. And I think for me, that was a really important experience, not only to like deal with that disappointment and use it as fuel, but also to clarify like why that event is so important to me. And 
I think for me now, particularly after 2020, it's to compete. Like it's to race my bike. Like I just want the opportunity to line up, to put absolutely everything I can to check all the boxes into that performance and go and race. Um, And that is what the Olympics is about for me now, beyond even, you know, all the kind of fanfare and fun that surrounds it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that you knowing that now you're going to be in such a better position to execute and do what you want to do and hopefully win a gold medal, you know, not just be there and be participating, but be there and be potentially a gold medalist, which is, you know, what everybody wants to do when they go to the Olympics. So you said you were in Austria with your now fiance Mm -hmm. and you were competing racing. Was it like because you didn't automatically qualify, which you automatically qualify through certain, like you're ranked at a certain point and that's how you qualify. There's like selection. Races. Okay. So it's better not to get into it. They change it every time <laughs> it's and it's super complicated, but I automatically qualified with the top five at the world championships okay. the year before. Got it. So that was one, you, that was the only way you could qualify in 2019. Okay. And then there were two races you could qualify in 2020. Okay. And so because you didn't automatically qualify the discretionary pick, they just called you and said, you're not the pick. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Actually, I think, I don't know if they called me. I think I just looked it up. Oh, really? I think I, they like announced it. It, it might've been an email or something. I don't really remember. I remember we stayed up. And waited for to it. To find then, out. Oh man. That's disappointing. That's like such a, I've been there. When you're like waiting to find out if you make something and then you don't. Yeah. It, I feel like it gave me almost this like ruthless feeling about selection teams though, where I'm like, looking back me now, like I didn't earn the spot. Yeah. Like I could have gone and maybe they could have sent me and maybe that would have been a good experience, but I didn't earn it. Like I wasn't, I didn't demonstrate without a doubt that I was the best person to go for the US and I had the best chance of bringing home a good result or a good result in the future. And I think that's what, that's what makes the Olympics what it is, is that it's so hard to get there and that the people that do go have fought so hard to be the best they can be, to be the best that we can send. And I, I'm kind of glad in some way that I, I didn't have that experience, um, in 2016. And now for me, it's, it's really exciting to get that and to also do so in a way that I'm, I'm really proud of. For sure. I, I can, I completely agree. And I think, like I said, I think that gave you really good perspective. Um, So you don't, you get cut in 2016, cut, you don't, you don't get picked. But in 2017, your first full season, you've graduated from Stanford, you win four U23 World Cups and the U23 World Cup overall title. Um, You also take home the silver at the U23 World Championships and you win your first elite national championship. So you don't get the pick, you don't get picked for the discretionary pick, but 2017, you have like a lights out year. So was that fueled by the finding out online that you didn't make the team? Yeah, I think in many ways it was. I was, yeah. And and by that recognition that if I wanted to achieve the things that I wanted to achieve, I needed to get better. Mm. And I started training with a new coach actually that fall. Um, and it was, my coach is tough. And okay. <laughs> We trained very differently than I trained up until that point. Um, the volume went up, the intensity went up, the expectations went up and it was, I worked harder than I'd ever worked and I performed better than I'd ever performed. I love when failure turns into fuel and you just go on a terror, which you clearly did. (laughs) 
so then in 2018, you move up to the big leagues and you're, it's your first year as an elite racer. And you place in the top 10 at six World Cups and finish the season eighth overall. And then you get to the UCI World Championship race. It's in Switzerland. It's your first year at the elite level. On the last lap, you're in second place. Can you set the scene for us? Because I watched the last like two minutes of the race and I got goosebumps watching. So I want you to talk about it. Yeah, that was a pretty, pretty awesome experience for me. I uh, went into that race. I was a solid top 10 racer, um, but I'd also had some results. I kept getting really close to being on the podium and then having things go wrong. So Mm. I, I, in the race, two races before I was third, the whole race and then crashed and had a flat and got six or, you know, I kind of had these feelings like, Oh, I, I think I can stick at the front, but not quite. Yeah. Um, and that day it all really came together. I was riding in second and third for a lot of the race and then caught the leader. Um, I believe a two to go and we were together. Uh, and then she attacked me and dropped me. What does that mean? Like she, <laughs> that seems, that seems illegal. She sped up and I couldn't hold her wheel and she got a little bit of a gap, okay. a time gap on me okay. and I was chasing, um, and that's somewhere where my preparation really worked. I had practiced that two minute climb in training for months and months okay. and I knew what pace I could hold and I just really rode my own race. And part of it was that, you know, I, silver would have been a great experience for me as well. So I'm saying, okay, I'm okay. I might get second, but I'm going to keep pushing as hard as I can. Okay. And the girl in front of me, she pushed super hard on that climb and then ended up making a mistake. Uh, and I, you know, was able to pass her and then executed a really great second half of that lap. Partially, I think because I, I held back just a little bit on that climb and, and really was able to keep my composure. Um, in that second half of the lap, I, I had like a few seconds and yeah, all of a sudden realized, okay, I, I could be the best in the world today. Like if I want this, I have to ride the best best that I've ever ridden. I have to perform like I deserve this win. Mm. Um, and I was able to ride a really clean last half lap and come across the finish line. It was, I think we had the most fans of any race ever. So this, the grandstands were full. It was loud and amazing. Um, and more importantly, my parents actually were in the finish I saw that. Shoot there. So it's very, it was a very special moment. And I think, um, you know, one of my biggest goals in the sport is to win another rainbow jersey. And I think it's very different to do so when you're saying, okay, I can win. I'm going to go and I'm going to try to win. Mm. This was not that. I was saying, okay, I'm pretty good. I'm going to give my best performance. Maybe I could get on the podium if all the stars align. Yeah. Um, and I think when you surprise yourself like that, when you surprise your family and your coaches and your friends who believed in you, but, you know, you you a little over-delivered, uh, those are some of just the best moments uh in all of sports yeah like i said i got goosebumps watching and it was so cool and i was like oh my god she's gonna win and even though i knew you had already won uh but it was it was awesome to like see sad that the other girl faltered a bit but you take over and win and your parents being there that was that was really cool and it's the first time an american had won this race in 17 years correct yeah it was a, a long time what did that mean to you it was really special i think it changed my perspective on what it means to have success in racing. Mm. I think before that it had been more internal and, and for me, which I think is good. Like having that intrinsic motivation is great. I think in sports. Um, but when I won that race, it was like a gift that I gave to my family and my friends and my coaches and my community. 
Um, and it comes with, so in cycling, when you're the world champion, you wear a rainbow jersey, okay. which is like the most fun thing ever. I love that. I'll just say, I bought rainbow everything. I painted my nails. <laughs> I had, it was such a fun year. That's awesome. Um, and I just enjoyed it and I shared it and the people around me enjoyed it. And it was, it was special to see that, you know, we had a party at the mountain bike hall of fame and, um, some high school racers said, wow she's from Marin and she was able to do this. Like maybe I can. And I just, it, it made me realize, and I think has given me a lot more purpose and motivation to have those big results in the future that when you do that and you do it the right way, uh, it can have a big impact. And it's also just really special and fun to share with, um, people that you know and care about, but also just, you know, fans that might not know you personally, but that are impacted by seeing that, become a reality. Yeah, for sure. So UCI, you you won the UCI World Championship race. And then in 2019, you're a World Cup overall winner. So like, what is the difference there? One is a specific race. The other is like overall results for the year. Yeah. So it's a little different. The World Cup series, there's like eight races okay. usually. And the person who has the highest total points from those is the World Cup overall winner. Okay. The person who wins world championships on the day is the world champion with the rainbow jersey. Okay. Um, and there's debates as to what is like more prestigious and harder. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, what, what do you think? In my is? opinion, like the rainbow jersey is just so special and it puts you in this league of racers who've won at that level across all sports or across all disciplines within cycling. So the road world champion, the track world champion, mm. they all wear this rainbow jersey. Okay. So cool. to me, that was very special. I will say, World Cup overall way harder. I'm sure. Because you have to, you have to hold your form the whole time. You have to handle the pressure. You have to deliver every time you can't make mistakes. You can't have issues. Um, and that, that was really challenging for me. Yeah. But the, the rainbow Jersey sounds pretty cool. And I can understand why you would want to, to win that. Do you wear, do, do you wear that for the whole, until the next world championship? You wear it for a year. Okay. Um, until the next world championship. But the other part that I feel is important to mention okay. is that when you win an elite level world championship, you get rainbow jerseys on your sleeves. So if you uh, see my jerseys now, there's little rainbows on the sleeves yeah. forever. That's cool. For your whole life. That's cool. I'm sorry. It's the coolest thing. Yeah. It's so cool. That's like in football, we get stars for each world cup that we won so yeah. and you see someone with a star and you're like oh she's legit yeah that's what's up <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so in 2019 you become world cup overall winner which you just admitted you think is harder to do or to achieve just because of the consistency so did anything change in your approach or preparation for 2019 from years past I think I change a little bit every year, um, but the big shift for 2019, I actually changed teams. Okay. Um, and in cycling, your professional team is the people you travel with, your mechanic, like your entire support structure, your bike, uh, what you ride. Um, and for me, that made a huge difference. I am on, in my opinion, the best team in the world. And they also have just a great environment and are able to perform at the top level, but keep it fun and treat everyone like family. And that for me, I think made a big difference of being able to make that step and then have the right people around me to hold that kind of form and, and keep delivering um, when I needed to. How do you choose what team you're on? Do you, do you try out for teams? Do you pick teams? How does that work? It's yeah, it's a complicated process. It's, it's really a professional contract. So okay, it's kind of a match of like, who's looking for a team mm. and who is willing to pay for that rider. That makes sense. Okay. It's kind of like in a team sport, 
you have a contract with that team, they recruit you, that sort of thing. So this is what I really am interested to hear you talk about because I read about your training and it's an endurance sport. And besides like a couple days that you take off a year, you're on the bike every single day. Is that true? I mean, I do. I've started taking a few more completely off days. Um, but yeah, really it's, it's about the consistency, Mm -hmm. not about those extreme days. And for me, I think I also respond really well to volume. So the more I ride kind of the better I get. That makes sense. (laughs) And being an endurance sport, women peak later in life than men do typically when it comes to, I think, endurance sports. So what age are you thinking you're going to hopefully reach your peak or you're like never I don't know hopefully I'm still on the climb yeah no I mean I think it's just I think as an athlete you always have to believe that your best performances and your best days are like right ahead of you and I'm trying to stay focused on that because I think you know it is easy to get distracted by that early success but I'm I'm 25 and I'm in an endurance sport and I think I could keep improving for a long time and over the course of that career, there will be ups and downs, but uh, I'm looking forward to the next up. Makes sense. And you've talked about it a bit already, but 2020 Olympics coming up, you qualified back in 2019. Well, I guess 2021 Olympics, they were 2020. COVID hits. What did your training, what did you do when that happened? Because in an endurance sport, and I, I had a lot of um, sympathy for all the Olympic athletes who like swimmers, runners, that sort of thing. They're such, they're on such a plan in terms of peaking at that right moment. And I feel like it was the same for you when that changed, when it got postponed, how did you adapt with your training and just your mindset? It was definitely challenging for me. I'd say there's some athletes that hugely benefited, uh, some that it hugely was negative for. I'd say I'm somewhere in between, uh, because I was in really good position to perform well in 2020. And, um, I wouldn't say I needed like an extra year, (laughs) uh, but I found a way to use that extra year. And I think, my training, you know, it was a little bit of a grind year. Mm. Uh, I think I, I made, I call it my year of planting seeds. Like <laughs> I was down in the dirt. I was digging, like it was all going underground. I've been watering it for a while and okay. I'm kind of waiting to see the fruits of my labor. Um, but, but I planted those seeds and I worked really hard all year. I stayed consistent in my training and we laid a great foundation um, for this year. And I think I'm starting to see that, the result of that, uh, in my training and hopefully my racing soon this year. Um, but I think the biggest benefit for me was actually the mental side. I think, uh, with my great results in 2018 and 2019, I had created a little bit of a personal pressure cooker Mm. heading into the Olympic year, feeling like the universe owed me this perfect year. Uh, and that if I just did all my things I was supposed to do, that everything was going to go perfectly. And, you know, like, that also affects the people around you when you're coming off like a brilliant year. People are like, okay, let us know when to come over and see the medal. Yeah. And all of that energy puts you in a different headspace. Um, and at the time, you know, it is kind of an honor to be in that headspace and that position going into the Olympics. But this year I've had this really interesting feeling of like, I'm almost like an underdog. Mm. Like I've dropped in the UCI ranking cause we didn't have any races. I, had kind of an off year when we did get to race last year. And, you know, those times when you're just not, it's just not coming together. They really rally the people who believe in you. Mm. And I think they force you to believe in yourself. And so I'm heading into the Olympic year this year with those people rallied. 
like the people that are on my team are like on the Kate Courtney hype train. We are going. I love that. But for me, like I don't feel that same pressure and I don't feel that same energy and expectation of like, okay, world, you owe me this. Mm. I feel like I am just focused on giving my absolute best and I acknowledge that it might not go exactly as expected and I'm more capable than ever to of adapting to those challenges and making it the best it can possibly be. So aside from the broken arm, which it's better, right? It's better. It's fine. Okay. Okay, good. You're feeling good. We're feeling good. Yeah. Okay. Like very, not all injuries are a blessing in disguise, but I feel that this injury was one. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, well, we're both Jaybird athletes, which is cool. And I want to know, do you race with headphones? In? No, it's illegal. That's why I asked because I was like, could somebody be telling you strategy in your headphones and or I mean, if I raised, I would want headphones in to listen to music. But when you're training, what what is your go to music or do you listen when you're training? I do. Okay. I don't during hard intervals. OK, um, so I'm kind of like. I feel like music can be a little bit of a crutch in yes, a positive 100%. way. Yes, hundred percent. Oh my god! So I, I, I like to use it. Like if I'm having a really bad day, like that's my crutch. I'll put that. I'm like, you know what? You're gonna get through this, and you can listen to music. <laughs> You're loud. <laughs> You're loud. But the really hard, like race simulation days, I try not to, just to mm. be in the environment that I will be when I'm pushing hard in a race. Yeah. Um, but that means that my warm up is the time to shine. So nice. I definitely have some. Uh, some pretty gnarly rap music on there okay, and lots okay. of Beyonce Love and <laughs> we get ready to go. That's awesome. I completely agree. I feel like music is such, such a crutch also just such a motivator. And I absolutely have to have headphones in when I'm in the off season grinding out just the shit workouts, like the ones that you just don't want to do. What's the Tokyo song for you? Ooh. Do you I have one? I don't I have, have one that's been on my, I don't have one yet because I haven't made the team yet. So I'm like, wait, you know, you got to wait. And mine comes. What about your Tokyo training song? Um, Well, the thing is we're in, we're in season. So like, I'm not listening while I'm training, but I do have my, my pre-practice list is mostly country. Cool. Just because it's like summertime and it's happy. But when it comes down to it, it's, yeah, it's definitely like rap and hip hop for sure. What about you? What's your song? My 2020 uh, Olympic song was Gold Digger. Love it. See what I'm saying there? Yeah, I, I get it. I get, I get where you're going with that. And I like it. We're going for it. Oh, man. That's awesome. All right. So the JWS podcast is sponsored by Heineken, which celebrates women in sports at the top of their game, where each athlete is unique and successful and has a story to tell. So who's the one person in your life that has had the biggest impact on your career and why? One person? You could like... Name on my career. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna go for it. My coach, uh, it. my coach Jim Miller. Okay. I walked into his office when I was 17 years old, and he said, "What's your biggest goal?" And I actually don't remember this, but he told my dad later. I sat down and I said, "I want to win an Olympic gold medal." Oh, and he didn't start training me that year, but the next year started working with me, and you know we've had unbelievable success together. All of those race results you've talked about have been with his guidance and. I just really appreciate he's someone who sees something in me long before it I see it in myself and he's not afraid to push me. And I think that's what I love seeing in women's sports is like women are tough and they're yeah. capable and they're strong. And I love having a coach who, you know, he says the women he trains will train harder and are tougher than the men he trains. So uh, I think for me, that was something I really thrived on as I could 
trust that he would get the most out of me if I just trusted him and, you know, put everything I could into every workout. All right. Well, cheers to Jim, Coach Jim. Cheers to Coach Jim. Um, all right. Next one. They say work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is predicated on luck? A good amount, right. actually. I would say before last year, I maybe thought, you know, when you have good luck, you kind of attribute it to yourself. Mm. When you have bad luck, you attribute it to the universe. Exactly. So <laughs> I had a, an unfair dosage of good luck okay. and attribute it to me being a great bike racer. And now I think I have a bit of a perspective of how many things have to go right. Mm. Um, but it's only made me more focused on making sure that all my T's are crossed and my I's are dotted so that when I have the opportunity, when I have the chance, I'm there to take it. All right. Can you put a number to the percentages? Uh, let's go 30. Okay. 30, 70. I like it. I like it. All right. Last question, Kate, you've accomplished so much already. Where do you want to go next and how do you keep pushing? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously I'm obsessed with the next goal that yep. we've already been yep. talking about yep. the whole time. Yep. Um, but I'm going to go bigger than that. Okay. I think my goal is to really change the game in women's mountain biking and especially in the U.S. to create the kind of culture that we're seeing in women's sports across the U.S. Uh, where we have a mass of women who are being so successful they can't be ignored, who are compensated fairly, who are competing fiercely. Um, and that's my goal. That's what I want to do in my sport. Um, and what was the other part? <laughs> How do you keep pushing? How do I keep pushing? There's always a next level. Yeah. I think for me, um, it's in everything I do, whether it's sports or uh, just in life, there's always a next level of things. And um, there's one other thing I've learned from COVID. It's that there's many different elements to being a well-rounded, successful, high-performing human being. Um, and some of those things do not have anything to do with sports, like planning a wedding next hey, year. So, there you go. so I'm going to embrace all the many, uh, many sides of that and keep trying to elevate each one. I love that. Well, thank you so much for the time today. I can't wait to watch you in Tokyo. I can't wait to see what- we'll see you there. Yeah, hopefully, fingers <laughs> crossed, we haven't, um, it's not official yet, but to see you hopefully win gold and I know that you're going to continue to elevate the sport elevate women and I'm excited to just be a fan of yours and watch your career and all the things that you accomplish so um thank you again for the time this has been awesome and I really appreciate it and good luck thank you so much it's been uh been an honor and hopefully I'll uh, see you over there yeah hopefully good luck thanks Thanks so much for listening. Our show is produced by Just Women Sports. For more great sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Big thanks to our presenting sponsor, Heineken. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. Catch you next time.